The left has entered a new phase of its cultural revolution, now taking aim at children's books. Dr. Seuss, beloved author, the latest victim of cancel culture. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. Dr. Seuss, you think you know, you think you can celebrate and enjoy and read it to your kids and it's fine. Oh, but you'd be wrong in America today because not woke enough. Dr. Seuss, not woke. No green eggs and ham for him, that's for sure. Here you go, Dr. Seuss from Seuss Enterprises. They're pulling six books, but this, these books portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. Ceasing sales of these books is only part of our commitment and our broader plan to ensure Dr. Seuss Enterprises catalog represents and supports all communities and families. Uh, this is now preemptive self-cancellation. I mean, the cancel culture woke, woke warriors couldn't hope for anything better than this next phase where you decide yourself. You don't even wait, you see, for the boycott. You don't wait for the angry woke mob to demand you're fired or deplatformed or ruined. You pull your own books. Here you go. You got, uh, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, McElligot's Pool, the Beyond, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Super, and the Cat's Quizzer. We, we have defeated stereotypes, racism, classism, sexism, name and ism. Pulling these six books, I'm sure, has defeated it. It's very exciting stuff, I know. But there will be no celebration, no. In fact, if there was a celebration, I guess it would be a book burning, because that's what's next. That's what we can all expect here. Why are they doing this? Well, because they know that if they wait, perhaps they'll be subject to even more woke scolding and attacks, more boycotts, more corporate cowardice. And now we have to see what books exactly can even be sold in America. What books are going to continue to be published in America? Given that if there's any offense that one could construe from whatsoever, there's a problem. Uh, given that we're supposed to judge people who are writing 30, 50, 100 years ago by the moral standards of today and all of their works by those standards, when you look at the shifting uh, landscape in America of culture and morality, uh, someone is going to have to explain to me who will be left. Who from the 1950s had the appropriate ideology on the 37 plus genders that exist in America? Did anybody? So how can we celebrate any, how can we read Orwell's 1984 itself? Was Orwell enough of a friend to the LGTBQ plus community? I don't think so. So the greatest author, arguably of the 20th century in the English language, George Orwell, may, maybe he should just be canceled too. Not woke enough. Look, I get it. Some of the stuff in these books and I don't have any Dr. Seuss books at home now. I don't, I don't have kids, but I remember reading them all the time in my school library growing up. Some of them have things that we could all agree. All right, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a depiction we do today. Here, here's an example of it. Uh, the quote is, a, a Chinaman who eats with sticks uh, at the bottom there. And uh, let, let's all be very clear about this, okay? It's not to say that this is a depiction that anybody today would celebrate or be okay with. Uh, it's that you can still allow people to read books, to have children's authors where their, their works are continuing to be in circulation. If you want to put some kind of, you know, just to be aware this book was written in in the Ford or something, I understand that. If you, if you want to put some context in it, that, that can make sense. 
but don't just pull the whole book off the shelf. Notice they won't even just excise the offending cartoon. There has to be a punishment made uh, of, of, for the people that, I don't know, are benefiting from this still. Uh, Dr. Seuss was making tens of millions of dollars even as of last year still. A lot of it because of the Grinch who stole Christmas and the intellectual property rights to that. But this is what we're heading to as a country. This is where we are now because the Biden administration certainly doesn't want to slow this down. In fact, Biden removed Dr. Seuss from Read Across America Day. Now understand that Dr. Seuss is central to Read Across America Day, but doesn't matter. Because instead of encouraging people to read books, instead of encouraging young people to spend more time reading and less time anger tweeting and posting self-debasing videos on TikTok, we're saying let's, let's just abolish many of the authors of the past. They can go after anyone. There is no author that you know and love who was writing even in the 20th century that they could not find some means of canceling. They could not find some way of, of going after that person. And look at how quickly it changes. Here was Barack Obama in 2015 at the White House talking about Dr. Seuss. Pretty much all, uh, all the stuff you need to know is in Dr. Seuss. <laughs> it's like uh, you know, the Star Valley Sneeches. We're all the same. So, so why, why would we treat somebody differently just because they don't have a star on their belt? Um, you know, if I think about responsibility, I think about, you know, Horton sitting on the egg up in the tree. <laughs> While Lazy Maisie's flying up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, this is a nice moment with Obama. He's reaching out to young people. He's talking about Horton, you know, here's a who, and he's... We all understand what the place of Dr. Seuss is in society. Nobody's writing their, you know, their sociology. Actually, they probably are writing their sociology PhD now on how Dr. Uh, how, how Dr. Seuss is continuing and perpetua uh, perpetuating stereotypes that are part of the patriarchy and, and uh, a grave offender in the intersectional universe in which we live. You know, other nonsense that's not helpful to anybody. Uh, but this is now the country that we live in because the woke left is ascendant and people won't stand up and they'll say enough is enough. They're going to keep pushing. I think people need to understand that. I think people need to see that this won't tire itself out as a movement. No, it will consume itself, actually, before it gets tired. Amazon is among the most powerful wealthy companies in the entire world. Amazon is more, is more powerful and wealthy than most nation states. And yet, they had to make this little change. Their logo, uh, on the left, you see, what do you see when you see that logo on the left? Uh, yeah. Do you see a, Hit a Hitler mustache? Because that's what the complaint was. They changed that logo because they said, some people, when I say they, someone got angry and said, it reminds them of a Hitler mustache. Not a piece of paper that you would make a notation on, that you've pulled off of a, of a, of a notepad, which is what a normal person would see there. No, that's a, a kind of cerulean blue Hitler mustache some kind of dog whistle to all the white nationalists that are taking over America. That's what the Amazon symbol was, they claimed, basically. And so they changed it to one on the right, which, you know, I look at that and I just see the patriarchy. How? Why? Don't ask any questions or you're part of the patriarchy. See how stupid this all gets, how destructive and pointless and wasteful it is. But that's the point. They have power. 
they can do this, if they can destroy anything or anyone, if they can erase not just our, our artwork and our books and our authors, but if they can take apart some of the very central ideas that hold us all together, some of our shared history, some of our shared belief, then they can create the grounds for remaking our society. When people talk about them as cultural Marxists, they aren't just using that as some kind of sneer, they mean it. That's what's going on here. This is a collectivist effort to change our view of our own history so that the people who are doing that can make a new history for us going forward. That's the plan. All right, Donald Trump's continued popularity among Republicans has led to considerable debate about the president's future in the party. After the break, our friend, author, and filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza is going to share his thoughts. Stay with us. These days, being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in is anything but predictable, and we can all benefit from something reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now and learn how easy it is, just like I've done, to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Don't wait for inflation to kick up. Don't wait to see what happens with the economy under this Biden administration. Protect your assets and your retirement today with real gold and silver. Just give the Oxford Gold Group a call, 833-600-GOLD, 833-600-G-O-L-D. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Give them a call, 833-600-GOLD. Hello, CPAC. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me yet? I stand before you today to declare that the incredible journey we've begun together, we went through a journey like nobody else. There's never been a journey like it. There's never been a journey so successful. We began it together four years ago, and it is far from being over. That was former President Trump Sunday at CPAC. He touched on many key issues of the day, including the border crisis, lockdowns, big tech, and cancel culture. Uh, cancel culture the last of which was a central theme of this year's CPAC overall. To discuss Trump's speech and the latest absurdities surrounding the cancel culture movement, joined by conservative filmmaker and host of the Dinesh D'Souza podcast, Mr. Dinesh D'Souza. Good to see you, Dinesh. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. What do you see happening now? Trump told us that it's possible he's going to run, but it seems certain he's going to be in it, so to speak, politically. He's not disengaging. He's not just going to be playing golf. There's talk about a massive super PAC forming, perhaps with Corey Lewandowski, a close Trump confidant, uh, running it. What do you see happening? And, and as importantly, Dinesh, what do you want to happen now with the MAGA movement in opposition? Well, um, I think that um, Trump was uh, really in his element. Uh, I just almost laughed out loud when he talked about beating them a third time. I think that uh, it was very good news to me that Trump is not starting a new party. I didn't take seriously the idea that he was, but there was talk and there were news reports that he was being urged to do that. That, would, of course, would have been disastrous. I think Trump very clearly came right out and said, I'm not doing that. I'm not stupid. I'm not going to divide the uh, conservative right of center vote. So I think that's very good news. It seems like his goal 
is the remaking of the Republican Party into a kind of, you may say, a holy MAGA party. Uh, he wants to sort of magify the uh, Republican Party and knock out some of the people who uh, voted against him on the impeachment issue. Uh, I wish that he would have simultaneously through the Trump organization start a, a massive media network because we ju we don't need 10 media networks, but we do need one. Uh, we've lost Rush. Uh, Fox News is sort of up and down. And so the bottom line of it is, I, I think we not only need um, good ideas, but we need a way to get those ideas to the American people and particularly to undecided voters who don't pay everyday attention to politics. What do you see as the, the core focus from, from here on out from Trump when it comes to the, uh, the midterms? He's already saying that he wants to put the best team possible on the field. People around him are saying this, and the president was indicating that he expects the midterms to be critical as, as a step toward, look, the presidential election, as we all know, is four years away. That's a bit of time. There's a lot that's going to happen between now and then. What do you see as the main fronts of, of battle for the MAGA movement until the midterms? I think that the biggest challenge for the the GOP is to create a united front. By and large, the ruling party typically loses seats and quite a lot of seats in the midterms. The Biden people are off to a very bumpy start. I think a lot of people didn't really know what they were signing up for, and they're quite uh, flummoxed by Biden. So all of this is very good news. The wind comes to our back. But on the other hand, if we go into the midterms and we have these internecine battles between traditional Republicans and Trumpsters and basically McConnell and Trump are firing salvos at each other, that's obviously not a good sign. So there needs to be a unified Republican Party. I think Trump is right. It has to unify more around him because that's where the base already is. I want to get your uh, thoughts on the most recent round of cancel culture that's come out to Nash. But first, here's the president speaking about that issue at CPAC. And in particular, we reject cancel culture. I appreciate the president gave uh, a shout out to it there. But Dinesh, the latest is we've got Dr. Seuss having six books banned by the publisher of Dr. Seuss books, right? By, by the foundation or whatever that, that's in, that actually owns the intellectual property rights. Uh, it, it seems like now people are going to try to do the preemptive self-cancellation so that they don't have to wait for the woke mob to come after them anymore. This is all heading in the wrong direction. We agree with the president, Dinesh, that we reject cancel culture, but what else? What then? What's the next step? What else do we have to do? Yeah, I think that uh, I think when Trump said that and for that whole almost lead up in the speech, I was getting very frustrated because this is what I would call sort of Rona McDanielism. It's Rona McDaniel. We must do this and we ought to do that and we stand against this and blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is who cares? Who cares if you stand against something? What do you actually intend to do about it now? Right after that, Trump sprang an idea that I think is was the best idea in the whole speech and is really worth considering. Because, of course, right now, you know, while the National Review types are debating, uh, should we repeal Section 230? That's not going to happen under the Biden administration because the cancel culture people are doing their bidding. But what Trump said is if that doesn't happen, which, of course, it won't happen, 
state Republican legislatures should start imposing massive fines and possibly criminal penalties on digital companies that censor people in that state. Now, this is fantastic. I mean, this is taking a cue out of what countries like Poland and Hungary are doing. And they're saying basically, look, if, it, if you have the legal right to say it and a company basically steps in and blocks you from doing it, we're going to start fining those guys. Uh, I'd love to see this movement take root in places like Texas and California and uh, Florida and then spread to other Republican states around the country. This would be a nightmare for the digital moguls. And they can't say, hey, we got Section 230 immunities because those only apply to federal law. They don't cover state law. Dinesh, you, know, you mentioned Texas. And uh, right as we're going on air here, the word's getting around that Governor Abbott seems to me may have become a little jealous of all the conservative attention and accolade thrown toward Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. So Abbott's moving in the right direction, in my opinion, and I give credit where it's due. He's saying that they're ending the statewide mask mandate in Texas. This was the announcement today. And they're also going to open businesses to 100% capacity. What are your thoughts? Great news, in my opinion, because, uh, look, I mean, I wear a mask, I'm cautious, but this should not be a state requirement. Of course, it could be that restaurants and so on can have their own requirements, but you just don't have a state mandate. What Ron DeSantis proved is that, and this was really important, is to go out front and do it, and then just look at the result. Now, if the result had been catastrophic, DeSantis would be on the de on the defensive. But the truth of it is, New York and California, which are on kind of full lockdown, have been in far worse shape than Florida, where everything is open. I was just in the Ritz-Carlton in Naples to give a talk over this past weekend. I walk in there, there's a lounge singer singing, people are gathered around, you know, kind of enjoying them. And they all look at me and I feel like I'm a fool. I mean, here I am walking in with my big mask, I'm, you know, I've got, and they look at me like I'm some sort of robots. So there's a whole different feel to life in Florida right now. And quite honestly, it's really appealing. Dinesh D'Souza, everybody. Check out the Dinesh D'Souza podcast out every day now, Monday through Friday. Dinesh, great to see you. My pleasure. A third woman has now come forward with accusations of unwanted sexual advances against Andrew Cuomo. Are the New York governor's days numbered? The New York Post's Carol Markowitz discusses the latest when we get back. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own? I felt exactly that way until about a year ago. You see, I've always loved the idea of real estate investment, right? It's a tangible asset. It can grow over time, stable, predictable. But where do you start? I didn't know how I was going to invest in real estate while actually fulfilling all my obligations. I'm busy. You're busy. How do you do all this stuff? Where do you begin? Well, that's when I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all of the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away, and now they manage the tenant for me, and I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works today. They will take you through the process step-by-step step, from the city you're gonna actually be purchasing this house in to getting the loan set up, picking the house out, obviously, all of it. Go to doneforyoubuck.com. That's doneforyoubuck.com to start your real estate investment journey today. New York Representative Kathleen Rice becomes the first Democrat in Congress to join the push for Governor Cuomo to resign after a third woman has accused him of unwanted advances, saying, quote, the time has come. The governor has hired a former federal prosecutor to defend him in this, as well as the investigation and nursing home deaths in his state. But is that enough? Here to discuss, New York Post columnist 
Carol Markowitz. Carol, good to see you. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. So, Carol, the third accuser told the New York Times that Governor Cuomo grabbed her face and asked if he could just kiss her moments after meeting her at a wedding in 2019. And he hasn't yet addressed that specific uh, accusation, but did release a statement on Sunday. Uh, Here it is. At work, sometimes I think I'm being playful and make jokes that I think are funny. I do on occasion tease people in a way that I think is good natured. I acknowledge some of the things I've said may be misinterpreted as an unwanted flirtation. To the extent anyone felt that way, I'm truly sorry about that. What do you make of the Cuomo apology? Yeah, you know, I I just, it's so funny. And Saturday Night Live made this joke, but I've been saying this for a while, is that nobody is like, what? No, that doesn't sound like Governor Cuomo. It sounds exactly like him. We've been watching his press conferences where he makes these like inappropriate comments and jokes for months, right? Um, and it was adorable and the media loved it and people wore t-shirts that grossly said Cuomo sexuals. Um, and so here we are where obviously he did these things, obviously, and his apology is, you know, really weak. And the thing that really sticks out to me is he has yet to apologize for the main thing, which is lying about nursing home numbers, hiding the numbers because he was afraid of Trump's mean tweets. Um, and, you know, just making a debacle of the whole COVID-19 response in New York while being hoisted on a pedestal by the media. And you have a number of Democrats now who are coming out against him, including those those calling for the Cuomo uh, probe include Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Andrew Yang, Jerry Nadler, Gillibrand. I mean, Democrats, Chuck Schumer. Senator, senior senator from New York. I mean, these are Democrats that people have heard of and know about. What do you make of this? It's it's hard to look at this and not think at some level. So the covering up the nursing home deaths by the thousands that they could live with because that was meant to be Trump. And, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But the unwanted flirtation and harassment thing, that's too much for the Democrats. Is that where we are? Uh, Well, a lot of those are prominent leftists, and he has had a problem with his left flank. I mean, you didn't mention the the, the main uh, person who could not be happier, Mayor Bill de Blasio. Oh, yes. (laughs) He's all over TV like, what? I, you know, can't wait to talk about whatever you want me to talk about. Let's talk about Cuomo, too. Um, It's also funny because... It's so obvious that he had been abusive to so many people, including Mayor Bill de Blasio, really openly for so long. But I guess when you when you make the change into sexual harassment, people actually care about it. But everybody knows that he calls up reporters and threatens their jobs and, um, you know, really berates people or sends his ridiculous goon aides after after them. Um, and nobody really seemed to mind that uh, as long as, it, you know, he wasn't asking to kiss, kiss somebody. So, well. You mentioned Bill de Blasio, and I I agree with you, by the way. Even Bill de Blasio can be correct and useful. I've been telling people it is is possible for Bill de Blasio, in this limited circumstance, as hard as it is to say this out loud, to be be useful and and wise. Here he is talking about this issue. That's not an apology. Um, He seemed to be saying, oh, I was just kidding around. You know, sexual harassment is not funny. It's serious. It has to be taken seriously. And, and he just clearly was letting himself off the hook um, for something that, for the women involved, sounded pretty terrifying. And uh, no, we need a full investigation. I've been arguing for a while that you could certainly make a case that Bill de Blasio is the worst mayor in America. But yeah. if he's the worst mayor, 
I think we got to say that he's in a better spot right now than Cuomo is. So can't you then argue that Cuomo might, in fact, be the worst governor in America? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that um, Cuomo has you know, been in the running for that for a while. What's scary to me, and I'm sure it is to you, too, I know we've talked about New York and how much trouble it's in, is that I could completely see Cuomo winning a fourth term. I think that's easily within the realm of possibility, even if the election was tomorrow. Um, I just think that uh, the Democratic Party in New York is really strong. The Republican Party is uniquely weak, and they are not capitalizing on this at all. Um, I mean, can we name a prominent, you know, prominent Republicans that have come out against Cuomo? Nobody knows anybody. Like, they they exist, of course, um, you know, but they're, they're just not really, you know, in, in the limelight. Um, and so we... we live in a state where the one-party rule is going to continue and whether it continues with Cuomo in a fourth term or somebody, you know, that takes over for Cuomo if he steps down, which I don't see, uh, you know, either way, we lose. I do find it interesting, you know, you, you are a columnist at the New York Post and the Post broke the story many months ago about the covering up of the nursing home deaths and was one of the few outlets that was even trying to report on this during yeah. the 2020 election cycle, which is not surprising when anybody thinks about the politics involved. It has been fascinating, though, to see some of the flagship uh, liberal news publications out there uh, suggesting that they're, they're now truth tellers on the Cuomo issue. But one place, and, and they're, of course, very late to the party, but one place where you're not going to hear any truth about, about to Governor Cuomo is on the Chris Cuomo show at CNN. And he's basically right. admitted it much. Let, let's hear what he had to say. You're straight with me. I'll be straight with you. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. Now, of course, CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively, and they will continue to do so. I have always cared very deeply about these issues, and profoundly so. I just wanted to tell you that. There's a lot of news going on that matters also. So let's get after that. Yeah, not just deeply, also profoundly about these issues. I want to know. You got to throw that one in there too. Look, I'll say this to you, Carol. I would never uh, say anything critical about a family member if they were a public person in the news. I get that. I actually respect that. I'm fine with that. The problem though is, but he used to have him on his news show all the time pretending to be a journalist doing variety hour stuff and making it like it was all one big joke and his brother's a hero. So now they have a policy? That seems strange to me. Yeah, you know, and it's a joke that CNN's been covering this extensively. CNN, like, woke up recently and was like, had to had to cover it. Um, but they were absolutely gone during all the months and months and months they should have been covering the nursing home coverage um it's also he mentioned today on his radio show and this this only hit recently but um that people didn't mind the media didn't mind his segments with his brother because they were so popular uh, but now they mind and i'm who could he be talking about if not cnn personalities so I wonder if there's some like, internal stuff going on over there that we don't know about, because it, it seems like Chris, Chris Cuomo would like to be covering his brother. I want to remind everybody also, this was in your Newsweek piece. We mentioned it yesterday here on the show. Cuomo didn't protect seniors from COVID-19, but it was the media that covered it, the media that covered it up. Uh, the sexual harassment stuff is bad. What he did with nursing homes, not just the order, but then the cover up and the bullying and everything is unforgivable and actually should cost him his job. It is the bigger scandal, as I know you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he hasn't apologized for it. He hasn't even um, actually admitted it. If you, The story is his aide went to New York Democrats and admitted it to them and apologized to them, but not to victims' families. Uh, so it's, you know, I, I absolutely think that should be the key scandal that uh, he gets caught up in. But the media just doesn't seem to want to cover that one. All right. Uh, thanks very much, Carol, for joining. Good to see you as always. Thanks, Buck. I recently had the chance to sit down with Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn to discuss big tech's stranglehold on political speech. That interview is coming up next. Our freedom of speech is under more threat now from technology companies and social media platforms than we've ever seen before. I got into the big tech challenge with Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee at CPAC this past weekend. Here's what she had to say. All right, here at CPAC with Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. It's good to see you, and I'm delighted to join you. A major focus here so far, and I know all through the weekend, it's going to be big tech. And both from the context of what they're doing to us here at home and also what it means for big tech in China specifically, how they're coming after us. But let me start with the, the big tech challenge here in America. It feels like freedom of speech is under more threat now from technology companies than at any time that I can think of in my lifetime at least. Well, absolutely it is under threat. And you've got big tech, big media, and the big left. And they are all in cahoots on this to try to silence conservatives. And what they can't do through legislation, the left is trying to have big tech do that work for them. And then you've got Democrat legislators this week that sent a letter to the FCC and to certain streaming organizations, uh, cable companies, media outlets, trying to get them to drop conservative programming. And they named by name Fox, One America News, and Newsmax. And the thing they're guilty of is giving a balanced point, counterpoint, opening for robust uh, discussion. So yes, I've got the virtual U protection agenda. We are pushing this through. It's going to deal with four things, online privacy, reforming Section 230, data security, and also antitrust. Now, what are the prospects for getting any actual movement on that, given the current composition of Congress? Well, actually, you've got uh, privacy, online privacy has had bipartisan support. I've had that bill since 2012, and it does have bipartisan support. There is agreement that we should address Section 230 and clean up the language there so that you remove terms like the term otherwise objectionable, which is what big tech hides behind when they go in and censor people. And there is agreement that there should be a review of antitrust provisions in relation to companies like Google and... um, Do you think uh, big tech should be broken up? I, I think that it is the worthy discussion to have. But here's the thing. If you go in and execute privacy, which gives you the ability to say, big tech, you cannot track me, follow me, data mine me, or share or sell my information without my explicit consent, and you can't bump me off your platform 
if I don't give that consent, then what you do is reduce the number of eyeballs. So you want to do that first because that somewhat reshapes their marketplace. Then you want to exercise the Section 230 reforms. That reshapes. You want to define data breach and data security and put a specific amount of time on that. So they have to tell you in like two days, not two weeks or two years, if they've had a data breach then see where that gets you and then move to antitrust as the last uh, last component. If that legislation were to go through, are you confident that the purge of conservatives from the digital public square that has been underway, kicking people, quite honestly, like me, off of different platforms me, at times. I've I, experienced I've had, it. Yeah. You're a sitting U.S. Senator, even, even more shocking yeah. when you think about this. Uh, are you confident that that will be enough to create the free speech grounds that we need, this legislation. I think that it goes a long way in sending a message. And then the other thing is we the people have to be the people on protecting our rights. And if they take the first, if the left gets rid of the first am amendment, then you know they're coming for the second and right on down the list. So it is going to be imperative that people start holding to account some of these tech platforms. Mm -hmm. um, it is going to be imperative that they talk about it when they get blocked or throttled or shadow banned or demonetized or deplatformed and begin to bring that out in the open. You also focus a lot on China and the challenge that China poses for us on national security, economic, uh, trade grounds. Right. What can we do now, considering that there's a reset underway with this Biden administration? What are, your, what are you pushing for, and what are your concerns about how U.S.-China policy may, may shift? I'm very concerned about it, because if you want to take it by different stovepipes with China, look at what they're doing with Huawei. We have to keep them on the entities list, which blocks them from selling into the USA. They embed their technology with spyware. We have to make certain that we continue the Trump policies on China. He understood China, and he understood they, they really practice rob, replicate, and replace, which is taking our technology, our intellectual property, reverse engineering or producing it, and then driving U.S. companies out of the marketplace so that they're the sole source for some product that you want. So we need to continue Trump's policies in that area. You have to look at what is happening with human rights violations with Hong Kong and the freedom fighters and the Tibetans and the Taiwanese and the South China Seas and then the genocide of the Uyghurs that are there and say to international organizations, you cannot admit them. The fact that Biden has gone back to the WHO is disgusting. That is something that emboldens China. And on the election integrity issue, which it feels like hopefully we can begin to speak about again without fear of that triggering all kinds of algorithms of censorship and, and cries of outrage, what would you yeah. like to see at the state level done and, and at the federal level? How do we clean things up so that there's greater, because we know all the data, all the polling shows, confidence in the election 
is a problem with many, many, many millions of Americans. What can we do to change that? And that has to be done at the state and local level. It, the federal government cannot do that, and we do not want federally controlled elections. The Constitution gives that to the state and the subdivisions of the state. Um, so we want it to stay there. But I would say to every one of your listeners, go to the election commission in your county and ask them, when is the last time you purged the voter rolls? Do you need help? Do you need volunteers to help check addresses, check deaths, check people that have moved out of the county so that these rolls are clean? Do you need help uh, validating signatures? Do you need election day workers? And get involved with that. That's how, you, that's how we fix this. You have to be sure that the rolls are accurate before you mail the ballots out or before you open the voter rolls. And this year, what happened? You had some houses that got five, six, seven ballots. You have some people that had moved out of state, been out of Georgia for five years. And what happened? They got a ballot in the mail to their forwarded address. Senator Marsha Blackburn, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Good to be with you. Thank you. It seems every day new evidence emerges calling into question the effectiveness of strict public health measures to combat COVID-19. After the break, my interview with former New York Times reporter and fellow lockdown skeptic, Alex Berenson. You never thought that COVID-19 could cost you your home, right? Well, here's the thing. It actually can. Cybercrime overall is up about 75%. And by far the most serious cybercrime when it comes to your home is home title theft. That's right, cyber criminals foreign and domestic are now after our homes, and it's easier than you'd think. The title documents to our homes are online now. The thief finds your home's title and forges your signature on a quit claim deed stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans on your home and leaves you in debt. You won't know until late payment or eviction notices arrive. Insurance doesn't cover you, and neither do common identity theft programs. That's why I protect my home with Home Title Lock. The instant Home Title Lock detects someone tampering with my home's title, they help shut it down. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim, then use code RADIO to receive 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, don't wait, take action today. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Make sure you use that code radio for 30 free days of protection. This past weekend at CPAC Orlando, I was joined by friend of the show, former New York Times reporter and author of Unreported Truths About COVID-19 and Lockdown, Alex Berenson. We sat down to discuss the latest insanity surrounding the COVID pandemic, the government's response, and where we're heading from here. Let's take a look. The man himself, live and in person for the first time here on the Buck Sexton Show, we got Alex Berenson, author of several books on Amazon, uh, Unreported Truths About COVID-19. Also, please go buy his latest thriller novel. You support his work on COVID-19 Truth. Go buy The Power Couple or one of his other excellent spy thrillers. Alex, good to see you in person, man. How Buck, you it's nice to meet you face to face. Yeah, how, how are we doing here, man? It feels to me like we're not, we're not learning the lessons we need to about COVID, and now we're really descending into crazy town with, even after the vaccine, things have to stay the same. Yes, I, I mean, 
why is that? And if we are you know, close to herd immunity, which by the way, that was a phrase you were not allowed to use in the media until Joe Biden became the president. It was you know, equivalent to saying that grandma was gonna die. Now you know, people are acknowledging that perhaps 100 million, perhaps 150 million Americans have already been infected and recovered from this. The official count is way low, and yet somehow nothing is gonna change. I, I, don't, I don't understand the public health logic of it. I don't understand the political logic of it, and I don't understand why people are putting up with it. I have to wonder, at what point does it become clear, you think, to everybody, that the answer to the question we get to try to achieve normalcy again. First of all, they're pretending that they don't know what normal is now. I'm sure right. you've seen that. What is normal, really? And right. maybe normal has to normal, change. The new normal, yes, all this stuff. Yes. So normal has, has, has shifted as, as a term. But beyond that, we can stop wearing masks when Fauci says so. That really seems to be the actual policy. I'm being serious. Yeah. I mean, who, who died and made him king? Um, you know, it, this, this is always one of the signal mistakes we made at the beginning here was giving public, the public health establishment much too much power. They are technicians, okay? Their job is to present various courses of action. Here's what it might look like if you shut down. Here's what it might look like if you, if you stay the course. And here's how much beds we might need. And for our leaders, whose job it is to represent the interests of everybody, not just people who might get very sick from COVID, but the children who might be affected by school closures, business owners, these are, these are decisions that shouldn't be left to the public health establishment any more than the question of whether or not to drop the atomic bomb on Japan in 1945 should have been left to Robert Oppenheimer, right? Truman made that decision. That's a, that's a political choice based on balancing various needs. Instead, we anointed, you know, Anthony Fauci, a bureaucrat, really a mid to upper level bureaucrat as our boss. And guess what? He likes it and does not, is in no hurry to give back this power. Now, how would you assess how the Biden administration has acted since taking uh, taking the White House and taking over after the inauguration on COVID policy so far? I mean, how, how do you score them based on what we've actually I mean, seen? What have they done? They, you know, they, they, they've supposedly improved vaccine distribution, the results of which, you know, basically that's a state level issue anyway. They've now said they're going to send 25 million masks to you know, people who live in senior homes, and they keep, every day they come out with a new warning. You know, today things are terrible, tomorrow things will be great, the next day things will be terrible again. Their messaging has been sort of completely inconsistent. And on schools, which to me is the most important issue of all, they have not really stood up to the teachers unions in any meaningful way. They, they, have, this, they have this sort of, you know, roadmap to open schools, which would actually result, if it were followed closely, in schools being closed. Okay, in Florida, schools are open right now. Florida would have to close many of those schools if it followed the roadmap. It doesn't even seem like there's an argument when you're talking about whether schools should be open or not. There are schools open. That's right. Many. That's right. They are fine. That's right. There's no problem. That's right. So, what are we even talking what, about now? What are at this we? Point? What are what we is, talking? How is there even a conversation about schools not being open in New York? They're talking about where in-person learning will be next fall. That's right. It's what are we talking about? We're talking about a bunch of frightened teachers, unfortunately, who are being led by a bunch of the most cynical union leaders in history. And who I guess see this as a chance to you know chisel out some more concessions, and meanwhile they're the, look, I don't understand it. If unfortunately, schooling is not you know unfortunately or fortunately schooling is mostly a local issue, so this battle has to be fought locally over and over again. But if it were a national level issue, and if 
you know, anybody reasonable were in charge, the response would be, we are opening all our schools, not K through five, not K through eight, we are opening all our schools, and if you don't want to teach, that's fine. You don't have to show up for work, you'll be fired. That's what should happen, and unfortunately, it has not happened. Why should grocery store workers and people delivering the mail, and I just went to the DMV for heaven's sakes in New York, why should they have to show up for their jobs? And many of them have been doing it really from the beginning. That's right. But teachers don't. I don't, I don't uh, understand I that. I don't understand it either. It's, yeah. It makes you wonder if they can really keep the title essential for those teachers that well, refuse to go and teach. And why should teachers in, all, in almost every other country be showing up for work? You know, in France, okay, France has strong unions. They and, like to strike. And they like to strike. The teachers knew that in-person schooling was important, and they insisted on it, and the French schools are open. You know, come the fall surge, the schools stayed open. Our schools should be open. Are people reaching out to you now in, in back channel who were, you know, were either very critical in the beginning? I mean, if, I, if on the scale of heat for one's COVID beliefs, you know, if we're on like a 10-point scale, I think I get like a six, you're at a 9.5, right? I'm at I mean, about you, a 28. <laughs> yeah, oh. you're, you're way up at the top of the scale of the heat you get for telling people things that you always do back up with research and facts. And we're speaking to Alex Berenson, and folks, get his book, The Power Couple, but also Unreported Truths About COVID. The Power Couple's a novel, but support people who are doing good work on issues where they're getting a lot of pushback. Are people starting to say, finally, you know what, you actually were right about this? Not so much way. that. It's not that those people, those people will never admit they're wrong. What I am hearing about is physicians, a lot of physicians, a lot of scientists saying, um, you know, I had, you know, I've done some research and I'm sort of afraid to share it anywhere else. Can you publish this for me? You know, there was something, it could be in, in sort of several different domains that has happened recently. And on the one hand, that's great for me as a journalist that, you know, like there's nobody else to approach, so they're approaching me. On the other hand, it's terrible. There should be 10 people like me or 50 people like me out there speaking loudly and getting the truth out. And that, you know, instead, instead there's like four of us. It's really bad. Alex, where do you think this goes? I mean, I would hope that, you know, assuming that this, you know, that the decline in cases and hospitalizations continues, we will be at a place where everybody's eyes are open to the fact that this is almost over and people will just stop listening to the nonsense that's coming out of Fauci's mouth or other people's mouths. Whether or not that happens, I don't know, but that's what I hope. Do you think there's a level at which everybody will realize that it's, it's really time? I, I start to worry that this has now become a mindset and almost a religion for people. Well, it's the emperor has no clothes, right? You know, when the little boy pointed it out, everyone finally admitted it. I, I hope that's what happens. We'll have to see. Go get unreported truths about COVID-19 on Amazon, as long as Amazon still <laughs> hasn't, right. hasn't pulled <laughs> That's it. That's right. But you could definitely get The Power Couple, which is a great novel written by Alex Berenson. Alex, in person, finally. Good Mark, to see you. we get to shake hands. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you for having Thanks me. Thanks so much. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.